Hi, this is Rachel on Recover. We're here with Allison, and she's going to tell us a little bit about herself, and then we're going to answer some questions for us. Hi, everybody. My name is Allison Fay. I serve as the director of the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center. We're a program of Zero Abuse Project in Minnesota. Uh, most of my work involves prevention. I do some. I do response work as well with families of missing people um, and families of those uh, who've been exploited, especially online. But a big part of my work is doing work in the schools uh, with survivors, with parents, uh, with professionals getting ahead of the problem of child abuse. We want to eradicate child abuse, and so that's a big part of where my energy and my investment lie. Okay. Um, well, how did you get in this into this type of work? Um, it's it's an it's a it's one of those stories where everybody has their reason. And uh, my reason started when I was in sixth grade. Uh, the boy who sat next to me in math class was abducted by a non-family member. The cases that are the rarest, we have about 105 of those uh, in the United States every year. It's 105 too many. Um, very, very rare. Uh, and he was with his brother and his best friend when he was taken. It's the person who our agency is named after, Jacob Wetterling. And so when he was in sixth grade, he was taken. And different people handle trauma in different ways. For me, I was the kid at the public library um, in sixth grade being like, where are your books on sex offenders? Like, where are your books on abduction? And the librarian was like, uh, do you have a parent permission slip? I don't know how to navigate this with you. But those were the days of like the card catalogs. With, like, and I was like, okay, this is my section. And I would just check out books. And the more that I read about it, the less freaked out I got. Like for a lot of people, it's the opposite. But like the more I read, um, the, the more I realized we could get ahead of this problem. Um, Jacob's parents were very involved in their community as community leaders. Jacob's mom was the president of the PTA when he was taken. Jacob's dad was the president of the NAACP of Central Minnesota. So they were very good at getting people involved and coordinated. Um, and right away as a kid, I felt like my voice mattered. I felt like I was valued um, and, and did what I could uh, as a kid for to help raise awareness about Jacob's case. And so the more that I did that, the more that I felt called to do that work. And then I'm sure as in, in other folks' lived experience here, that as soon as you tell people, oh, this is what I'm really interested and passionate about, you then hear survivor stories everywhere you go. Um, and, and realizing that the, this tip of the iceberg is, is my friend's story. And then, oh, let's look at all the people who were suspects in our small town when this happened, that we had no idea all this stuff was going on, you know? And so um, very quickly as a kid, sort of knowing that this is the tip of the iceberg, but there are a lot, there's a lot of sexual harm out there and there were a lot of suspects and there are a lot of, um, you know, Jerry and Patty were asked, uh, is there anyone who liked Jacob too much? Right. And so that idea of like, who, who are interacting with us as kids anyway. So I, I, I was passionate about that work. I did my undergrad um, at St. Olaf college, which is a real place. Some people just know it from the Betty White references on the golden, golden girls. May she, may she rest in peace. dear Betty. Um, one of the writers of the show was, went to the, um, to our, like the college across the, the river that has a little friction with the, so anyway, made St. Olaf sort of as the, as the ongoing joke, but St. Olaf's a real place in Northfield, Minnesota. You could design your own major. So I majored in missing kids um, for my undergrad, as well as theater communication, which you get a little bit of my theater self-care stuff coming through. Um, I use theater to balance my personality. Uh, so I, I did that for my undergrad. I went and worked at the National Center for Missing Children right out of college 
and then came back to Jacob Wetterling Resource Center in 2001. I've been there ever since. Um, I got my master's 10 years into the field um, in, at St. Cloud State studying uh, sex crimes and criminal justice. And so it's it's been an honor to be one of those people who've been able to sort of be at a nonprofit for a long trajectory and see all the ups and downs and ins and outs and um, and, and, to, and to just know that and to see how far we've come, right? To see the hope that wasn't there and, and to see places that are hopeful um, and to do my best to live into that hope. Most definitely. Um, um, how did you, um, tell us a little bit about the Jacob Wetterlings Resource Center. Yeah, so we, basically when Jacob was taken in 1989, donations started flooding in to both help find Jacob, help find missing kids, um, and to help prevent this from happening. So Patty and Jerry talk about sort of the, the trauma of having to start a business while the worst thing in your life is happening, like trying to get a 501c3 and a board of directors and to make sure that this money is well handled um, while chaos is happening. So Patty, um, you know, it's, it's that idea of legacy nonprofits could be really exhausting when um, you're trying to also advocate for your family members. So it was, we, Jacob was taken October of 89. Jacob Wetterling uh, Resource Center was founded in February of that year. Um, Jacob's birthday was February 17th. So we sort of used that uh, as our sort of uh, born date in 1990. Uh, and we've been different names over the years. It started as Friends of Jacob. Um, later, it was changed to Jacob Wetterling Foundation. Then people thought because we were a foundation, we gave out money. So we changed it to Jacob Wetterling Resource Center that were a resource for families. And uh, our, the two big programs that our agency has been known for since 1990 are advocating for families of the missing and preventing crimes from happening to kids. And proud to say those are still the two things that we do uh, all day, every day. Uh, we, we work to raise awareness of missing people, especially um, in, in most recent years with a, a, a focus on people who are underserved, who otherwise um, people aren't aware. So working with uh, collaborating with with groups and making sure that we're trying to be as equitable as we can, and, and to make sure that every all missing people are getting the awareness that they deserve. Um, and in addition to doing that, letting survivor voices guide the work that we do. We do an annual retreat every November for families of missing and murdered people in Minnesota who've had cases in Minnesota um, that so that they can be in a room together and say, "I get it, and I know what you went through, and have you thought of trying this?" And so they have other people who they can have that support um, from that lived wisdom. And, and we take the wisdom from our family gathering and, and make sure that it permeates into everything that we do when we serve people uh, who call our hotline. So we do that component of the work. And then we do a lot of prevention ed. We have a, a program for elementary school kids called Empower Me. That's a body safety uh, curriculum we, that's used in, in multiple states. We do um, healthy relationships training, internet safety training, middle schools and high schools. We do, you know, smart, not scared, how to, things to be aware of um, as, as a teenager when it comes to body safety and online safety. We do tons of training for parents. Uh, I just, yesterday was parent, with parents of three and four-year-olds. You know, how do you talk about body safety with kids without scaring them to death? And how can we make this a positive proactive, ongoing conversation. And so I love being able to train parents on online and body safety. And then we do trainings for professionals as well. Everything from uh, the dynamics of sextortion and sexting 
to um, learning from the past of missing children cases, what has worked, hasn't worked. Uh, and my personal passions as a theater person uh, is training dance companies and training theater companies. We have noticed that there's a huge void um, with with those two communities in the sense that like if your kiddo's in soccer, they, they usually have like policies, procedures and a overarching, especially if they're in the Olympic system, you know, this is the policy that all the clubs need to live by. But with dance companies and theater companies, there's not like an overarching, here are your must-haves. It's kind of each group does their own thing. Um, and we see where arts communities can be hugely helpful and hugely a safe space for a lot of kids who, who need a place to grow and thrive. And then we also see the flip side where that's the place where um, kids are exploited. So I just have a personal passion of um, training dance companies and theater companies to better, uh, just to be better uh, allies in knowing that you're going to be having kids come through your door and, and do you know the warning signs, you know what to do when you see the warning signs and how can we proactively prevent people with bad intentions from interacting with our kids? Yeah, that's super important. Um, that's, that's huge. And it's, I, I, so I'm a parent and my kiddo, um, when she was four, she was asking if she could do dance. And I said, yeah, as soon as I find a dance company that trains and screens their staff, let's do it. That's, that's what we want to do. Let's do it. And 30 calls later, you know, I'm calling dance companies and I'm saying, do you do any training or screening for your staff? And it was, I would get responses of, well, we just don't hire sex offenders. So no, we don't do it. And I was like, you know, Okay. Um, banging my head against the wall. Uh, and then I had a call from someone and they said, well, our dance company is a family. Like we're just a family. We, you know, we've known these kids since they were four and now they're teachers. So we don't do any training or screening. We're just one big family here. And of course my like red flags when I hear like, we're just one big family. I'm like, oh, as opposed to someone who doesn't work in the field who that might be a positive. And I'm like, well, who's calling out problematic behavior in your family then? You know, like if you have a, um, so it was, after trying about 30 different calls, um, a, a good friend of mine, her kiddos studies somewhere nearby, and, and she just reached out to the leadership and said, hey, this is really important to me. Can your staff get trained? And they said, absolutely. And so I, I was able to train their staff <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday. I remember being like, do dance teachers not care about the Super Bowl? Apparently that wasn't a thing. That wasn't a conflict they were worried about. Um, but training them all on Super Bowl Sunday and then feeling comfortable with my uh, kiddo being able to attend there, but it's just, it's that idea. Of, that's when I realized what a big um, gap it is. Cause when my kiddo wanted to do soccer, they're like, yep, here are our rules, here are our policies, here we do training for, you know, it was a very different, cause I'm the person asking the questions, right? Like I'm the, I'm the person at the daycare visits who's like, I would love to see your packet of policies. And so the, just the big difference between um, sports and the arts uh, as a parent was, was really concerning to me. So it's just a, a passion project that, we do um, and, and got a grant to, to train a lot of dance companies and theater companies we continue to do that and continue to be fed by that work. Yeah, I, I was in the arts, but I don't, well, I mean, it's also been 20 years. Things have changed. Well, in Minnesota has a very high profile case, the, the children's theater, of Minnesota, which is um, one of the world's best uh, productions of places that do productions for kids have a history uh, from the 70s and 80s of hiring a prolific sex offender um, where the board knew that he had this history and had been kicked out of working in public schools. And they're, they're like, oh, well, we're still going to have him run this theater. We'll just watch him around the kids, which 
um, did not was not effective. And, and there are multiple people in that. Uh, I was just reading the book uh, Shattered by uh, Laura Stearns. I hope I have her last name right. I'll, ha- I'll have to double check later. Um, but a kid uh, who's now an adult who grew up in that toxic environment, multiple adults were arrested uh, along with Donahue when he, when all the abuse was uncovered because he just created a culture where abuse was a part of, of that expectation. And um and being a Minnesotan kid, seeing that all play out from a very like disconnected kid way, um, and, and having parents be like, we can't get rid of him because the shows are so good. And it's like, um, he also needs to serve a lot of time for the harm that he inflicted on many, many, many kids. Um, so it's just, it's we have that history and you'd think that we would learn and, and, and learn from the history. And there are folks who have learned from the history and are very proactive. And we have a lot of survivors who are, involved in the arts where that is a huge priority. Um, I never want to paint anything with one big brush, but just when we look at communities in general, we, we know that there's a, um, that, that faith communities are realizing that they're targeted and, and need to, to approach that, um, that, you know, culturally like gymnastics, like there, um, there are other USA swimming, there are other groups that have been in the spotlight of there are problems in the system and I wish that um, more arts communities would get engaged in prevention before having to be in the spotlight with there being a problem. Oh, yeah. I mean, anywhere there's kids, there's a predator. Yeah, or at least trying to get in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I was a kiddo who loved, who musical theater was my escapism. It was my safe place. It was my place where I learned about community and hard work. And and I had wonderful, wonderful experiences in the theater, but I have friends of mine who did not have wonderful, wonderful experiences in the theater. And part of that um, desire to protect is I want uh, this generation of kids to have really positive experiences. It's, it's that idea of you want to be the adult that you wish you had as a kid, right? Like, I don't know if you see that meme, but then it's also the, well, we want to create communities that we wish that we had as kids. And I'm really grateful. I had wonderful uh, communities to grow up in as a kid, but not everybody did. Um, there were, I mean, there are, there are also things that weren't awesome that uh, thankfully weren't abusive, but were problematic. And it's just like, okay, we can, we can do better. Um, and, and we, and we can continue to do better anytime we're involved in youth serving organizations. I don't have it figured out. I've made mistakes. Um, but safety should always be the first question. Um, what are some new things that are coming out, coming in curriculum that are surprising? Well, I guess the sextortion cases, the amount of sextortion that is happening and how it's happening um, is something that I wasn't necessarily prepared for until the phone started ringing about it. We, the Minnesota BCA just did a press conference about it, I want to say in April, but it's actually... It's so sextortion is is originally it was related to sexual abuse in the sense of um, getting a photo from a kid that is sexual abuse material and then saying, okay, if you don't give me five hundred dollars, I'm going to send it to this person or put it on your website. Or if you don't meet me for, um, you know, a chance to meet in person, this is what I'm going to do with this photo and kids being extorted in that way. Um, But we're also seeing this influx of cases uh, of young men athletes of high school and junior high um, boys or male identifying kiddos who are tricked into sending a sexual picture and then it not necessarily being a sexual abuse lure 
but it being a financial thing. It's it's coming from overseas quite a bit of, you know, if you don't send me $500, I'm going to send this to the college recruiters who want you to play basketball. Um, if you don't send me $250, I'm going to send this to your high school lacrosse coach or whatever else. And so it's this idea of, of the pattern is folks from overseas um, targeting high school athletes. And then once they have those pitchers just consistently getting money from that young person because they don't want to, in their perspective, they don't want to ruin their chances at, at, at playing um, college or, you know, semi-pro or whatever it might be. And there's all the shame with gender uh, of, oh, I should have been able to say something. I should have figured this out. So there's those layers and they're finding that a lot of these boys aren't telling. And so then instead of like a, a, a scam online where you get paid once, and then that person realized they've been scammed, that these young men just continually come up with the money um, and don't make a report. And so we're seeing those cases. And so when we're doing internet safety in the schools, making sure kids know that all genders are targeted. Because, I mean, I, my friend, I was talking to my friend Mandy, and she was like, yeah, when we had the, like, don't get raped talk, all the girls sat in the gym and had the, like, don't get raped talk, and the boys all went outside to play soccer. And she's like, I remember sitting in the gym this is like mid 90s i mean like shouldn't they be in for this talk too like shouldn't they be in the like also be aware of this and let's all get in on this together so i think in the online safety world realizing that all genders can be targeted realizing what some of the patterns are like the patterns for um sexual exploitation online in almost every case they're talking about sex in the first half hour of the conversation you know over 90 percent of the time and so that idea about teaching kids that one of the big warning signs if someone is approaching online in any app or in any way and, and wanting to talk about sex, like that's not one of the healthy grownups. That's not one of the healthy, you know, just being aware of those patterns and then also being aware of the patterns of that sextortion piece and the, the MO that folks have um, when it comes to soliciting a sexual picture. And if, and if you get, if you fall for that trick or that trap, it's not your fault and that it's not, and that you're allowed to get help and that you're allowed to get support. And, you know, the National Center for Missing Exploited Children has great resources with their Take It Down campaign. Um, the different state ICACs are aware that this is a pattern and are there to be helpful. Um, and the clients that I've worked with have had good experiences um, once they have made a report. But it's that idea of, I was working with one client family and they said, well, I talked to my daughter about online safety because I was really worried about her. I never talked to her brother about it because I didn't think this was something he would have to deal with and just being aware that um, all genders can be targeted with with uh, abuse or exploitation online or in person and that this isn't a conversation for one type of person but everyone uh, needs to be involved in the knowing the warning signs and what to do when our friends are targeted what to do when, our, when we're worried about our friends what do we do when we see patterns that are problematic um, with our friends uh, with people who might be causing them harm so just I think one of the things in prevention is just getting everyone on board um, when it, there's a seat at the table for everyone in prevention. Um, Alice will be back next week at 10 a.m. on Thursday for second part two. And always follow us on your favorite social media platform and on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to have any questions, reach out to Rachel Levin on Recovery.